invite you please to turn in the scriptures to the book of first first corinthians uh, chapter 13 and verse 4 uh, first corinthians 13 and uh, we are going to uh, study this morning the first part of uh, verse 4 in our series called love the more excellent way this is a, a teaching series on the subject of love, but really specifically, it's an exposition of uh, 1 Corinthians 13, which some would say, and I think there's a good case to be made for it, it is the greatest uh, chapter on love in all of the New Testament, as the Apostle Paul uh, teaches us about its importance and also helps us to understand what exactly it is, and especially what it looks like. Now, a week ago, we, we looked at the first three verses of this chapter, and if you recall, we, we noted there that uh, Paul's main point is that for the, for the followers of Jesus Christ, love is essential. Love is essential. In fact, what we saw was that really we're, we're nothing without it. Paul said that we can be gifted, we can be generous, we can be devoted, but if we don't have love, we're really not much of anything. And so it's essential. Remember, Jesus uh, Jesus says when he was asked, what's the most important commandment? He said that it is that you love, that you love firstly and foremostly God, and that you also that you love your neighbor as yourself. Remember too, the night before Jesus died, he, he told his disciples, listen, he says, listen, people will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. It's, see, it's the mark of, of the Christian is the primary mark of the Christian life. So it's essential. But of course it raises for us, or at least leaves us, with a very important question. That is, what does it mean to love somebody? What is it what, what is it to love someone? I mean, I get I'm hearing here, getting that it's essential, that it's demanded of me, it's commanded of me. But what does it look like? And how, how can you tell when you're doing it? Well, that's what Paul turns to now in 1 Corinthians 13 after in the first three verses talking about how love is essential. Now he goes into a 15-part description of what love looks like, what it looks like and what it doesn't look like. There's 15 things here that he identifies just one after another after another. See if we'll read it and see if you can see if you can uh, see them as we read. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4 Paul says, "Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable." or resentful it does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth love bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things do you see that 15 qualities 15 descriptors of what love is and to help us out shows us what it is and what it isn't what it isn't now, if we are really going to understand what love looks like, then we are going to have to patiently and carefully consider what each of these are. And so this morning, I want to consider the first two, that love is patient and kind. Now, I want you to just sort of take yourself out of the room for a moment. I want you to go to another place, not far from here, 
in your car sitting at an intersection at a red light. Okay? There you are, waiting for the light to turn, and all of a sudden you hear something. Go ahead. Oh, what's that? What's that? Now that's pretty good, isn't it? That's, that's right. That was, now that was, that was my son. He was recording that for me, and I was laying on the horn. Take one, my wife did it, but she just doesn't have an inner to really lay on the horn. So I'm like, I'm going to have to do this. Now, now let's, let's just hear this again. I want you to sort of tell me, you, you discern for me, what's the message? What's the message? What's that one? Come on. Cool. Now they're really mad, aren't they? Right? Like the first one was, toot, toot. okay, there we go. And then the second one is, is sort of like, come on. And now it's... It's like, you are everything that's wrong with my day, right? You, you are personally responsible for ruining my day, my life, and you're responsible for global warming. All of it. That's just fury. I mean, there's, well, there's some not nice things going on there in that person's mind and heart and maybe even coming out of their mouth. And it's showing in laying on the horn. Now, how many of you have heard horns like that? Oh, yeah. You don't even have to be in, in the vehicle. You could be walking down the street and you hear We hear horns all the time. And uh, it's, they, they do, certainly do communicate to us different things. But one of the things that they sometimes communicate to us is impatience impatience now sometimes there's, there's nothing you can use your horn to maybe sometimes you use it you see somebody you know or maybe you get somebody's attention who's not paying attention or uh, you sort of move somebody along because we're all waiting here and we're not we're gonna get stuck at the light because of you but sometimes sometimes that car horn is a symbol of real pent-up it's a release of anger anger that is really kind of well, it's a kind of impatience. And, of course, you don't have to even drive a car to, vent, uh, to express your impatience. Sometimes we make huffing noises. Sometimes we make yelling noises. Sometimes we use tones that make it real clear that we are thoroughly annoyed with someone. And, uh, well, it feels cathartic to us. It's actually an expression of impatience. Of course, sometimes we make no sounds at all. But there's this, there's this smoke billowing out of our ears that shows everybody around us that this time we've gone too far. Sometimes we find ourselves expressing our impatience with biting words or unkind reactions or various subtle and not so subtle forms of retaliation. But here's the thing. For the followers of Jesus Christ, impatience is a real problem. The lack of patience for a believer is a problem. It's a problem because we read in our text today that patience and the cousin of patience, kindness, is part of showing love. In fact, when Paul writes out his 15-point description of love, what's the first thing he puts down in his description? Love is patience patience have patience have patience don't be in such a hurry put up your hand if you know this song yeah when you get impatient you only start to worry randy's looking at me saying what in the world is happening here (laughs) 
Remember, remember that God is patient too. And think of all the times when others had to wait for you. Well, there's the lesson this morning. Let's close in prayer. Patience is a real problem because the absence of patience or expressions of impatience is unloving. When, we're not pa- when we are lacking in patience, when we're lacking in kindness, we are lacking in love. And so therefore, it's a, it's a critical issue. And so this is where Paul begins here. That's what I want to focus on today is, is to examine with you what Paul says here, uh, that love is patient and kind, and especially to think with you about what does this mean? What is, what is patience? What is kindness? And then especially, uh, how, how might we go about cultivating this in our lives and therefore applying it in our lives? So let's start here. Love is patient. Love is patient. Well, what is patience? Well, the word patience here means long-suffering, means a willingness to suffer long if necessary with you. It's, it's also sometimes called forbearance. When you when you're exercising, when you're practicing forbearance, you're, you're hanging in there with somebody, even if it takes a long time. And uh, when I am patient, when on my good days, when I'm showing love and being patient, I'm, I, it means I'm willing to wait a little longer. It means I'm willing to explain it again, perhaps this time a little clearer. It means I'm willing to try again with you. I'm willing to give you another opportunity. When I'm patient, I allow my, um, uh, I, I, I hang in there with people for the long haul. I'm, I'm slow to anger when I'm patient. I'm willing to go a little further. It doesn't mean, of course, that there isn't time that something has to change, but it does mean that I'm willing to take the time, as much time as possible, to wait for you, to wait on you, and to hang in there with you even though it may be extraordinarily difficult to do so. That's patience. How many of you love exercising patience? Oh, so apparently this doesn't come easy. Apparently it's not natural for us. You may identify with some of these things. This is now my list of the absence of patience. What does it look like when I'm not patient? Well, when I'm not patient... I'm huffy and horn honking. I'm vindictive, right? Looking for ways sometimes to get back at somebody. I'm demeaning. This is maybe the most common way because we can sort of come off looking oh so righteous when really our tone is demeaning as we talk down to somebody or belittle somebody because our patience has run out. When we are impatient, when we lack patience, we get angry quickly. We express anger in sinful ways. We're harsh with people. We lash out at people. We have angry outbursts. When we are impatient, we are willing to leave someone behind who are not responding in the way or in the timely manner in which we want them to. And we're fine to just be done with them, to give up on them, to push them away. Now, not again, not that there isn't a time when you must move forward, but the issue is, is that when I lack patience, there's no effort or little interest in waiting and hanging in there. I just, I just don't. And I'll justify it eight ways to Sunday. I'll have my justifications and my reasons and my spin, but in my heart of hearts. It's a lack of patience. And if you lack patience, you are lacking what? You lack love. Because love love is patient. Love is patient. 
We're reading together as a staff, I think, in my opinion, one of the best books there is on leadership. And I've read about 30 books on leadership in the last year. And uh, there's a book by Alexander Strzok called Leading with Love. And in there, he writes a chapter. Well, he actually, he, he does an exposition of 1 Corinthians 13. It's a powerful, helpful book, especially for those of you who are in some form of Christian, uh, form, some form of leadership. In there, he tells the story of Robert Chapman. Now, Robert Chapman was a, a Chapman was a pastor, 19th century pastor of a small church in Barnstable, England. And uh, this is what he, this is a little story he tells about Chapman. He says, many times a leader's patience is put to the test. Anybody here a leader? Can I get a witness? A leader, sometimes their patience is put to the test. You could put in there a parent. You could have put in there a spouse. You could put in there a neighbor. You could put in there whatever you do in life. He says, Robert Chapman, for example, was, a well, was well known for his love. And like all loving leaders, he showed remarkable patience with difficult people and problems. Perhaps his patience and love was most evident when a clash developed in a prominent church in Plymouth, England, between two powerful personalities, John Nelson Darby, the architect of dispensational theology, and Benjamin W. Newton, the primary teacher of the church. When Darby and Newton were unable to reconcile their differences, Darby announced plans to start a new rival church in Plymouth. Darby's proposal alarmed many people within the church, as well as those who attended churches associated with it. Because of Robert Chapman's love for both men, he felt compelled to seek reconciliation. He urged Darby not to proceed with his intentions, but Darby refused to heed Chapman's advice. Darby's action created two similar congregations in Plymouth about equal size. These churches continued to be at odds with each other which caused other churches of similar beliefs to choose sides. You've seen that happen, right? Two people get in a fight and all of a sudden, you know, they're not speaking to each other and then people start to take sides because we feel awkward. If I'm going to be friends with you, then I can't be friends with this person. It starts in the playground when we're little and goes right all the way, follows us right to the grave. If you've never seen it, then you don't have a pulse or you are in the middle of it and you're just too blind to see it. Then, a year later, Darby made a more serious accusation against B.W. Newton's doctrine. In time, Newton recognized his doctrinal error and publicly confessed his wrong. But Darby and his colleagues insisted that Newton's reversal was not genuine. Over time, they were able to influence many other churches to exclude Newton and his church from their circle. Newton recognized defeat and left the church in Plymouth permanently, but the battle was far from over. It would escalate beyond all reasonable proportions, as church fights often do, causing untold heartache. People on both sides were heartbroken over the bitter division and made continued attempts at reconciliation, but to no avail. A meeting of 12 influential leaders convened to try to resolve the growing divisions. During the meeting, Robert Chapman made one of his most memorable statements. He challenged John Darby. He said, you should have waited longer before separating. What's he telling him? You should have been more patient. Of course, he was referring to Darby's inability to resolve conflict with B.W. Newton. Darby, Darby replied, I waited six months. Chapman's reply was uncharacteristically testy. But if it had been at Barnstable, we should have waited six years. 
Now, Barnstable was his own church. In other words, if it was my church, if it was my people, my brothers and sisters, we shouldn't have waited six months. We would have waited six years. Strzok concludes the story by saying this. History, history proved Darby to be impatient and harsh, not only with B.W. Newton, but with, many other, with, but with many others. Although some began to speak of Darby in less gracious terms and refused him fellowship because they'd had enough of him, Robert Chapman did not. His love for Darby remained unabated. Instead of disparaging Christian brothers and sisters who followed Darby, he referred to them as brethren dearly beloved and longed for. Chapman's sorrow was genuine because he lived according to the more excellent way. Now, there's many good things about Darby that we could commend him for. But I'm sure in the light of eternity, when he looked back on his life, this is probably a chapter that he would wish he could rewrite we have for us in this account two examples. One, an example of impatience, but the other, an example of remarkable patience, bearing with a person for as long as it takes, and even expressing love and kindness when others seem to be unabated from their impatience in this particular circumstance. Three things here I want you to notice about patience. Firstly, our patience is practiced with people around us. Our patience is practiced with people around us. Patience is required if you're going to love people. But patience is not something you merely agree with in your mind or say that you believe with your mouth. Patience is practiced with people around us. In Corinth, where Paul was writing, the Corinthians were quite impatient with each other. And if you read through the book, and some of you have recently, you read through the book and you see there was much impatience. People were fighting and frustrated with each other, even in certain cases taking each other to court. Loved ones, when we set out to love people, when we set out to serve people, when we set out to lead people, it will be a test of patience. Let me particularly address those of you who are in leadership. You could be an elder, you could be a deacon, you could be a ministry leader, you could be a worship leader. In some area of leadership, maybe in leadership outside of the church, some of you have, uh, you have influence, some of you are not even aware of outside the church. If you are a leader of people, then you are going to need patience. You must exercise patience. It's going to be tested. It turns out that when you're in leadership, people will criticize you. Uh, people will speak evil about you. People will complain about you. People will accuse you. People will take advantage of your love and your patience. People will attack your character. They'll challenge you. They'll resist your leadership. And that's just the Christians. People will be resistant to change. And that will try your patience. People, people will be quick to complain and assume. People will be forgetful, irresponsible, right? They just don't show up. And now it's your problem. People will be fearful and disobedient to the Lord and unwilling to learn. And if you have a, a task with leading, it's going to test your patience. 
As you follow Jesus and as you deal with people who are unkind, inconsiderate, ungracious, selfish, impatient, ruthless, inside or outside the church, wherever you find them, this is a test of patience. It's a test of love. But love is what we're called to. And so we're just making the point here that, yes, if you are finding your patience is being tried, then you indeed are living, and you're living the Christian life. But patience is not something you just say, oh, you're so right, Ross. No, no, don't tell me I'm right. Show me I'm right. Show me the scriptures are right and go out by going out and living it. 2 Timothy 4.2, Timothy was told, he was Paul's protege. Uh, Paul told Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience. He told Timothy again, he said, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil. First Thessalonians 5.14, Paul says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. We can feel angry, we can feel frustrated, we can find ourselves feeling exasperated, but the call on your life and mine is to exercise patience. And patience is practiced, it's put into practice with the people around us. It's something to be done. That's the first thing I want you to notice. Our patience is practiced with the people around us. Secondly, our patience is produced by the Holy Spirit. Now Paul says here, love is patient. But if you know your Bible really well, this, will, this, this love and patience in the same sentence, you'll say to yourself, that sounds familiar. I've, I've heard something like this somewhere. And you're right. If you were to go to Galatians 5 and 22, verses 22 and 23, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, Paul there uh, tells us some of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we say fruit of the Holy Spirit, we mean the good things that the Holy Spirit of God wants to produce in your life. He, the things that he wants you to be doing, that he empowers you and fills you up in order that you will do these things. And so he describes the fruit of the Spirit. Now listen to what he says. Galatians 5.22, he says, but the, fruit of the, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and a bunch of other things we won't stress over today. The fruit of the Spirit it's what the Spirit wants to produce in you. He wants to produce in you patience. This is what He, this is, he works in you to, to produce, to make you a patient uh, person. And so what this means for me is in my call to love, when it says, that, when it says here, uh, love is patient, I'm mindful of the fact that patience is something the Holy Spirit produces in me. So here's the thing, loved one. You and I, as we exercise love, as we exercise patience with one another, we must do it dependently dependently when you do something dependently it's something that you don't do on your own right i mean you do it but you do it with help relying on the assistance of another right if you were to uh, if you were to uh, uh, make a meal today dependently it would mean you're relying on something else maybe you're relying on somebody who actually knows what they're doing and you'd be relying on particular means of getting it done it's dependently it's not i'm not i can't do it on my own i'm not going to try to do it on my own so when we know that that love is produced by the Holy Spirit within us, then it reminds us that, oh, you know what? I need to be depending on the Spirit of God. Now that raises the question, how do you do that? How do you depend on the Spirit of God to produce love in your life? Well, one thing you do is you pray about it. 
You say, Lord, it is really hard to love people, especially this point number one about patience. I just, it's hard, Lord. It's, it, it's, it's trying for me. And listen to me, listen to me, believe me. I know this. I'm not up here this morning preaching to you a sermon that I haven't had to painfully apply in my life, even this week. The, the, the trials and, and, and overhearing myself, frustrated over particular issues and, 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 and finding that this is, Lord, what are you doing to me? As if I'm preaching on patience this Sunday. This is not funny. But it sure is timely. Sometimes you've got to be patient with people real, real close to you, don't you? How are you going to do that? you going to do it on your own? Look yourself in the mirror tomorrow morning and say, you're a patient guy. You don't fly off the handle. You're long-suffering. You forbear. They're going to build a statue of you someday and put the name Patience right on it. Let's go. Is that, is that your plan? Yeah. Well, let us all avoid you the day that you try that. No, instead what we do is say, Lord, I need you. We also learn about patience. We do things like teach on patience and read the Bible. What, or what does the Bible teach us on this subject? And we're responsive too to the Spirit's promptings in our lives. Sometimes the Spirit convicts us. And we know, we know, you just know, I just blew it. I was so impatient. And when the Spirit does that, we're responsive to the Spirit. We take it to the Lord. And maybe we take it to the person that we were impatient with. We're responsive to the Spirit. We, we are in the Word. We are praying, Lord, help me. That's how we depend on the Spirit. Recognize, loved ones, that our patience is produced by the Holy Spirit in us. It's practiced with the people around us. It's produced by the Spirit in us. Thirdly, our patience is patterned after God's patience with us. Amen. Has God been patient with you? The answer is yep. Yeah, and if you didn't know it, I just tell you, yes. Exodus 34, 6. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's slow to anger. That's patience. That's patience. First Timothy 1, 16, Paul says in his own testimony, he says, but I received mercy for this reason. Paul is just re reminded of the fact that he was a sinful man. He was a violent man. But he received mercy from the Lord. For this reason, Paul says, that in me as the foremost, as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. If you are in Christ today, you know firsthand the patience of God. Because the Lord bore with you and he was patient with you and you came to know the gospel and you saw your sin and you repented. And you recognize that God was patient with me. He could have written me off. He could have, he could have judged me on the spot, but he didn't do that. And if you were in Christ today, you know his patience still is. He bears with you and works in your life. Peter says, 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord, is, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness. Talking about his return, right? Oh, Jesus is coming back. Is he will win. It's been a long time. A little slow. Peter says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness. But is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish when we think about the long wait that we endure before the return of jesus we're reminded of the fact that these long difficult days are the patience of god 
so that people like us can come to know Jesus and find salvation. God is patient. So let me ask you, are you patient? You say, well, how am I going to grow in patience? Well, one thing you can do is remind yourself of the patience of God with you. It's like the little song I sang there. Don't look at me so weird this time. Remember, remember that God is patient too. He's been patient with you, hasn't he? Love is patient, loved ones. It is patient. It is also, uh, it is also kind. He says love is patient and kind. Now, kindness is, is a readiness to do good. It's a readiness to serve, to, to help, to relieve burdens, uh, to express uh, to express care, uh, express th- sympathy. Somebody has said that that kindness is love in work clothes. It's it's an act of doing. Think of it this way: patience. When I'm when I'm patient, I'm I'm saying, "What was that? It's something. It's a, it's all. Is everything good? There's like this woman's voice behind me. It's okay. What was I saying? Oh yeah. Think of it this way." Um, when we think about patience, we, when we're patient, we're saying, you know what, I'll take almost anything from you. I'll take almost anything from you. When I'm being kind, I say, I'll give almost anything to you. You see the difference? I'll hang in there with you, and I will act kindly toward you in the ways that I think to do, in the ways that seem appropriate. In Corinth, there was a lot of unkindness. I mentioned before the fighting and the quarreling and some taking others to court. But the reality is is that for Christians, we're called to love. And I think this is why Paul is reminding the Corinthians here in the midst of their context here of being bitter with each other and angry. They're not a church that's very kind. It's like, you, you people need to be kind. Well, why do we need to be kind? I don't want to be kind to her. I don't want to be kind to him. Because it's loving. And love is essential. And you can be gifted and devoted and do all kinds of wonderful things, but you're not doing anything in God's eyes. If you aren't loving, if you aren't kind. Kindness is just like our, our lesson on patience. Kindness is the same thing. Kindness is practiced with the people around us. It's not enough for me just to agree, yes, I should be more kind. The call is to do it, to, to exercise kindness. Uh, also, not only do I exercise kindness, it's to be practiced with the people around us, it's produced by the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is patience and kindness. The Spirit of God produces that kindness in me. So the same thing. I'm praying the Lord. I'm, I'm learning about kindness from, from God's Word in series like this. And uh, I'm counting on Him to produce, it, to produce it in me. Also, kindness is patterned after God's kindness toward us. Think about the kindness we see in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you read through the Gospels again and again and again, you will find acts of kindness. I think, for example, of Luke chapter 5, when Jesus touched the leper and healed the leper. He touched the leper. What an act of kindness. That nobody did. You just didn't do that. But Jesus did it. I think of Luke 13, when there was a woman crippled by an evil spirit. And Jesus cared for her. Or how about Mark chapter 10 when Jesus heard blind Bartimaeus crying out from the, from the roadside, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And what did Jesus do? He's got, a great, he's got a great entourage of people all around him and he stops. And he goes over and he heals blind Bartimaeus. Or, or how about the feeding of the 5,000? Do you know why Jesus fed the 5,000? Well, one, it was a sign of his greatness. But do you know what was the motivating factor there? He cared for them. 
the people were hungry. Matthew 14 says he had compassion on the people. And so he fed them. Thing was, he only had five loaves and two fish. So he worked a miracle. But the motive underneath all that was kindness toward them. Our kindness is patterned after the Lord's kindness. Now you say, now Ross, (laughs) let's get serious here. I don't think that the Lord is going to call me to heal a blind person or to heal a leper. Likely not ever going to call me to feed 5,000 people with my lunch tomorrow. And it's possible that that's true. Although you never know what the Lord might do in your life. But the point isn't doing the miraculous. The point is doing the obedient. The point is exercising kindness, is showing care. You may not be able to heal a blind person or feed 5,000 with your lunch, with what's in your lunchbox, but you can make a phone call, can't you? To somebody who could use a call. You, you can sit down and write a card to somebody who would be encouraged by receiving that call. You can send an email or a text message to someone to remind them that God loves them and that you're thinking of them and that you're praying for them. You can invite somebody out for coffee, right? That's right. Who knows? A miracle may happen. You might find the money on the way. Who knows? You, you can offer to help somebody in need. You can visit somebody who's on their own. You can show an interest. Just showing an interest in somebody else. I don't know about you. Aren't you blessed when somebody shows an interest in you? And they ask you about something in your life. They ask you to tell you about something that's important to you. You can invite somebody into your home. In some circumstances, if you've got a good relationship, you can invite yourself over to their home. Say, I want to come over and visit with you. Put on, make your best, best plate of cookies. I'll come eat them and we'll, we'll have fellowship together. You say, I couldn't do that. Try it out. They might take you up on it. Be great. The point is, is showing kindness. I remember when we first started in the ministry, we, had a, uh, we bought our first home in, in the community we were in previously. And we, were, we just moved into the home, but one of the things it needed was a roof. And we were told from the get-go, don't worry about the roof. But I'm like, the roofs are fairly essential, right? They're pretty important, right? Bad things happen when there's holes in the roof and it leaks. So what are we going to do with this roof? Well, we hadn't lived there long when one morning, you look out the window, 6 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, and there's a stream of trucks wheeling into my driveway. It's men from the church. They got ladders. They got shingles. They got hammers. They got nails. And they're up on the roof, pounding away, tearing off shingles. You know what? They started at 6 o'clock in the morning. It cost us it cost us about $50 in hot dogs. About that. And by about 2 or 3 in the afternoon, they were taillights down the road, and we had a new roof on our house. That's an act of kindness. An act of kindness that I, for one, will never forget. It's an act of love. It's what it looks like in your life. Let me ask you this question. Are you kind? Are you a kind person? You think to yourself, well, how do I exercise? How do I cultivate kindness in my life? One thing you can do is think about the kindnesses that you have been shown by others. You can just take a moment today and just, just make a little list of think of some ways that people have been kind to you in their words and their actions and how they've supported you or cared for you. And then you can pick any one of those things, any one of those things, and do them for somebody else. And that's exercising kindness. The key question, of course, is will you do it? Will you put it into action? Who is one person? One person. Will you identify one person and one way in which you will show kindness to that person today?
today? Who is somebody? Say, Ross, I don't know. Think. Ask the Lord. Lord, show me. Who is somebody that I can show kindness? I'm going to tell you something. There's a room full of people here around you that be blessed by your act of kindness, your caring word, your thoughtful text message. We take action. And as we think about patience and kindness, we're reminded, of course, of what we're about to do here as we close the service today. As we would take part in the Lord's Supper or in communion, we are in a very dramatic, tangible way being reminded about the love of God for us in Jesus Christ. Love expressed in patience and in kindness. I mentioned Second Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. Aren't you glad today that God is patient? Because if He wasn't, you and I would be history but he's patient. And we're reminded of this this morning as we think about the patience of the Lord to bear with us. We're reminded also of the kindness of the Lord. One of the ways that we cultivate kindness in our lives is by worshiping the Lord. Because when we worship the Lord, we put our eyes on him and we're reminded of him and his goodness and his greatness and his kindness toward us. Listen to Titus 3, verses 4 to 6. It'll go up on the screen here for you. Titus 3, verses 4 to 6. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Think of it, think of it. The God of all creation, the God who by the word of His power, all things that are came into being, the God who rules and holds everything together, the God who knows all things, is able to do all things, is everywhere present, the God who reigns and rules above every name. You name a name, name me a name, and he rules over them. You name me a, a power in this world, a mighty power, and he is powerful still, more powerful still. He is great, and he is awesome, and he is kind He's kind to you and to me. I love the story in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when the children are learning about the great King Aslan. And they wonder about a lion. Will he hurt us? Will he eat children? The question was, the, the children asked the beavers, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, oh, goodness, no. He's not safe but he is good. What a powerful picture of what we see in the gospel. A God who is God, but is good and has shown kindness to us in Jesus. How has he shown kindness to us in Jesus? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. That in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. His kindness, his patience. I love Romans 2, verse 4. He says, the Romans, he says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, 
not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? You see, some people assume that if life is good, therefore God must approve of me. And Paul says, don't be so foolish. Don't you see that the goodnesses, the kindnesses that you have experienced from God have a purpose? And that purpose is to lead rebellious, defiant sinners like you and me to faith in Jesus Christ. To move us from our lostness into being found. That we would somehow find our way by His grace toward Him. So you and I can come to God, we can know God, and we stand safe and secure in the Lord today because of His kindness to us in Jesus Christ. And so as we close the service, I'd like to ask the ushers to please come forward as we'll partake of these emblems.